RDTDaily.com presents a Tara Buster with comedian Tara Devlin. All right, how's it going? What's going on, world? How you doing in lockdown? My name is Tara Devlin. Thank you for joining me on this. <clears throat> Damn, excuse me. On this very special. It's not that very special. <laughs> I like when they, it's like those sitcoms. They say, a very special Blossom tonight. You know, when Blossom gets sexually assaulted. Does anybody remember that episode where Blossom, it was very serious. A very special episode. And something would something serious would happen on a sitcom. Anyway, hello. It's not a very special. Every day is special. It really is. Every day you're above ground, you're beating the odds. Hello, my name is Tara Devlin. And we usually meet on Saturday evenings from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern at the RDT Daily Facebook and YouTube channels. And then we are rebroadcast starting Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern on Progressive Voices or anytime on the Progressive Voices app and SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher. Please give the show a good review on iTunes and also become a patron. That's what we're pushing over here up in this bitch. We got to push patrons. We, we encourage patrons as much as if you can. If you can. I don't want anybody to put themselves out. You know what I mean? I'm serious. If you can't afford it, I get it. You're still welcome here. And there are other ways to support the show. You give the show a good review. You share the show with your friends, stuff like that. That counts too. Because we're in this together. That's the way it's got to be. We don't have any I mean, why would we want it any other way, frankly? We don't have billionaire benefactors like the right wing does, and that's how they do it. I've told this story before. Of course, I'll tell it again, and I'll tell it again and again, if you're not as outraged as I am. But this is part of why the country is in the boat it is in. The right wing understands the importance of spreading their message, regardless of whether it's a lie. They know it's a lie. They are undermining democracy. That is the point. Conservatism is the ideology. It always has been, always will be, the ideology of the ruling class. They want, in fact, this, this country was created by progressives. There's nothing more progressive than overthrowing a king and an aristocracy. Regardless, yes, they were racists and misogynists, of course. Nobody's perfect, but we're, we're, this is our history. It's the truth. They were products of their time, and I'm not excusing it, but, yeah, it's hard to go back in time and judge people by our, our modern standards. You know, and in some way, you have to understand their products of their... Uh, entire of the world they were they lived they lived in so not that it was right i'm sure there are many people they knew they knew it was wrong to hold human beings in bondage so that's why the united states was slow we're always slow to the party whenever it comes i mean it's it's hard to believe really but it's uh considering how progressive 
this country, uh, the progressive values, in a sense, that we were founded on, of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. This is the first country that has happiness in its founding documents. And of, But it's probably a byproduct of the fact that we are, it, it was hypocrisy uh, that they're, uh, it's not able to understand that writing all men are created equal while simultaneously holding human beings in slavery is uh, the, is really, I mean, I guess that's probably why we have a lot to atone for here in this country. And we're not really capable at this time. We're not mature enough to look at it, look ourselves in the mirror. It's not slavery and genocide are the original sins of this country. But whether you like it or not, that doesn't mean you hate America when you point that out. In fact, you hate America when you bury the truth. That's how you know you hate America. When you pretend, when you refuse to look at yourself and to grow and evolve and to have that healing dialogue that needs to happen in order for us to have a more perfect union. Really, we there's no getting around the fact that the United States is a nation of immigrants. Unless you're a Native American, you came from somewhere else. Somewhere in your distant or not-so-distant past, you had ancestors that came here from somewhere else. So that's the, the bottom line. In fact, one of the charges against King George by the revolutionaries were that he was limiting immigration to their country. So, because that's, you had to get people to come here and live. Otherwise, you don't have a country. So that's why the Romans, the first Romans, had to invite the Sabines over for a nice little gathering and stole all their women. They needed people. They needed not just the dregs, the male, the uh, ex-prisoners or pirates or criminals on the run. They needed, if they were going to create a society, they needed families and they needed uh, to put down roots with those families. So what you can't have a country unless you have people. And immigration is, is a wealth. It's the wealth of the nation which uh, Republicans are, you know, really, think about it. Because if you're an immigrant, that's the whole thing with immigrants, not the whole thing, whatever. Um, so if you, to pick up your life, whether, by, for whatever circumstance, even if it's your, um, let's say, your society is crumbling around you, it is really, uh, and we know this by statistics, that... It really is the rare person that picks up and leaves. It's uh, not the majority, unless everything, I guess, is is uh, burning down. But for the most part, many people, most people, think even in Nazi Germany, in the worst circumstances, they think, this is only temporary. This is my home. I'm not leaving my home. For the most part, people stay. It, it, even in the Irish famine, People stayed. Most, the most people 
stay behind. It is that rare person that says, F this, I'm out of here, because they take, they, it takes a lot of effort to get the hell out and move and take your whole life and take that risk and leave your, your friends and your family behind and, or possibly, right? Unless you take everybody with you, but, and to move across to a whole new country, especially if you don't speak the language. That's somebody who's a go-getter. And that is the kind of person you want in your country. Someone who has that kind of ambition. That that person, the trailblazer, the person who takes risks. And that's why immigration is really a wealth of a nation. You're you're taking from another country, you're taking their best, frankly. So and it doesn't matter if you're coming here as a refugee or not. Even the refugees, I think, frankly, we would be better off opening our. I mean, I often think, I often think how sad it is, how low, how um, how de- devolved, how small-minded it is to think about um, to shut your doors. To, to refugees, people coming and saying, help, I need help. That's the kind of person who is a grateful person, who, who would love this country, would work for this country. Because it's, if you open your doors, welcome. You, were, you went through hell, and you're home, you're safe. We got you. What kind of a person... Would, would that create, what kind of a citizen would that kind of welcoming atmosphere create? And that's why, even in, in World War II, when we, when we had a different kind of leadership and we followed the Geneva Conventions, the Germans who, when the war was over, they were tripping over themselves to, to surrender to the Americans because they knew that they would be treated with decency and, and respect. And many of these people, that's the argument. We won the, the moral argument by, te- by treating them like human beings and not abusing and torturing these uh, prisoners of war. And we, we showed them by example. And that is why many of them stayed here. They wanted this, not that, you know, I mean, I know the whole other, there's a whole other under lying story about Nazis, yeah. Wanting to escape justice, but not every person was a Nazi. They weren't in the party. Some I I know somebody, I'll tell you this, a friend of mine whose mother came from Germany. She's she lives here. She's still alive. She's in her I think I guess she's in her eighties now. But she was in the Hitler youth when she was like fourteen years old. But she said that they had no choice. She was a child, and you were either in the Hitler Youth or you were not. You, you had no life. In order to, be, to go to school and to live in society, you had to be in the Hitler Youth. For, for, I, don't, I don't know the whole story about her family, but that's a, that's a pretty scary time to be alive. So I, mean, I know this person. She's not a Nazi, but yeah. What do you do, right? We know what happens. Many, uh, that's why these good Germans, 
They have the term, the good Germans. A lot of people don't, they don't stand up in the face of injustice. And I wanted to, I do want to talk about Bernie now that, but this came, now that this came up, let me, this is kind of off the topic in a way. So, uh, uh, but I'm only thinking about it now because we're talking about it and we're talking about refugees, immigrants, and, um, humanity in general. And I captured this, um, a lot of times I listen to podcasts and whatnot, other people's podcasts when I'm working, doing other things. And I love history podcasts. And when I'm just, when I just want to relax, I listen to history podcasts. And when I don't want to think about Twitter, although you tr- you think about it anyway, because it's all, everything is, uh, history is rhyming and reason, not, r- not rhyming and reasoning, whatever, you know what I mean? It's all related. But I was listening to Dan Snow's History Hit, which is one of my favorite podcasts. And here, let me find this uh, thing that I, f- I captured this because it touched me. And I thought, I'm going to share this on the show one day. This is a Holocaust Holocaust survivor. Hold on a second. Let me find her. Who she... She travels the... Um, she travels around in Europe. Her and, and she's the granddaughter... Is she the daughter or the granddaughter? I think she's the granddaughter of a Holocaust survivor. And she travels around Europe with the son, either the son or the grandson. Okay, it doesn't really matter. But of a an SS guard, and they do this. Um, they do a. Sh- it's not really a show. They do a speaking. They they go on a speaking tour about, I guess, reconciliation, truth and recon- reconciliation. So the. The guy's name is Derek Neiman and Nomi Lopan. And they work together to educate people. Uh, and because, you know, at the end of World War II, most of, if you asked the Germans, of course, they'd say, oh, I wasn't in the party. I didn't believe this. So, but this man, Derek Neiman, he didn't know his, I think it's his grandfather now that I'm saying, didn't know his grandfather, but he found out, he didn't know this because they didn't talk about it. He found out later that his grandfather was an SS guard in, uh, I think, in Auschwitz. So, I mean, obviously he was, he, he did some horrible things, to put it mildly. So these two people know each other. They became friends. It ended up they both got to know each other, um, and it ended up that they, it was revealed that she's the daughter of a Holocaust, or the granddaughter of a Holocaust survivor, and he's the son, a grandson of a SS guard, and he, anyway, so this woman, Nomi Lopem, she reads, one of the things she does is she reads part of her grandfather's diary, um, um, and he writes about one of the marches that he had to, that they were moving them some somehow. I don't know the whole backstory, and they moved them through a a town where there was activity going on, and here are these emaciated 
on uh, death's door prisoners being summarily executed if they fall by the wayside. And it's a really unbelievable tale. It's not unbelievable, but it's, think about it. It's not unbelievable. It's, it's beyond comprehension that this actually happened, that people are alive right now that endured this, that witnessed this. And let me play it and we can talk about it. I will start by uh, reading an extract from the, one of the marches my father was on. How does a person feel when he sees his companion being shot the moment he stops walking and realizes he can barely walk himself? Of course, at first he carries on. He wants to live. He reaches for his companion's hand to support himself. But the companion is at the end of his strength and he pushes the hand away. He won't support the laggard. The weak one is left behind. But that one must see for oneself the lifeless face, the flickering eyes of a person about to confront his fate. The bullet strikes his neighbor and soon he will also be struck. Who can say what such a person experiences whilst walking the final steps of his life? Who can describe what he feels and suffers in these moments? And what did I myself experience on this day? As chosen inmate, I had to carry the bread sack for the capo, and the last one in line I had to march next to him and the SS man. The SS man shot all who stopped, and the capo had to record their concentration camp numbers. I looked into the barrel of the gun before the bullet struck the neck of the tottering person, looked at the thin stream of blood that ran slowly as life departed the body. I observed the SS man and saw how he ate with appetite his carefully prepared open sandwich whilst continuing to walk despite his bloody deed. In the nearby fields there were farmers sowing and at one of the houses at the roadside a woman was watering her flowers. In this moment a bullet pierced the head of a struggler. A small stream of blood ran down the temple. And all that happened in the midst of built-up fields and lovingly tended flower gardens. Are we still living in this world? Or was this all a nasty, unending nightmare? How was it possible that people within 50 meters were quietly going to work, whilst in their midst, exhausted, defenseless people were being shot? And this is also whilst my father is, is marching just after having left also the cattle wagons. We marched on hard-packed snow. The peace and quiet of Sunday lay gently over the little town as we marched through. Our march became more and more arduous because we had to go up an incline. We were wretched, despairing figures as we struggled to drag ourselves along the white-covered streets. Suddenly, the loud noise of church bells rang in our ears. Before us lay the church proclaiming Sunday. Although we retained only a pitiful glimmer of life and hope, the chimes of the bells touched something barely alive in each of us. Did this signify anything? Had the priest rung the bells on this peaceful Sunday morning to call together the good citizens of this small town to protest against inhumanity and indignity in general, and this awful procession of corpses in particular? We really wanted to believe, to hope that the world was at last alerted from its indifference, 
and had eyes to see this dreadful drama as it passed before them, the martyrdom, torture and death of helpless people. Could they not see, hear and feel that in the face of this unfathomable mass murder they could not and should not remain any longer silent? Well, that's very resonant, isn't it? Because that could be all periods and all places. And exactly. Today. We all turn the other, we all look the other way. What's the last quote? The last one was for liber how he they felt upon liberation. Okay, let's hear that. 75 years ago this yes. spring. Exactly. Everything we touched was freezing. The barrel of the guns we embraced, the clear frosty night, even those people we met on the morning of our freedom. Now we were free, but what remained of our past? Our homes had been destroyed, our families annihilated. We were solitary islands in a freezing foreign world. These first days were strange. Our minds were numb, as if we had been intoxicated by our freedom. We could go wherever we wanted, could do whatever we wanted, but we always encountered dismissive, uncomprehending faces. The world could not, or did not want to understand our pain. Had these people been so hardened by their own suffering that the tragedies of others was an unbearable burden, a burden they were unwilling to bear, regardless of circumstances? Naomi, why, why, why tour the country with Derek? Why, why do the double act? Why not just talk about your father's experiences on your own? Because I think it gives people a much broader understanding of humanity that ordinary people are capable of doing extraordinary things. We might think of Hitler as somebody extraordinary, but we're all human. We are basically all the same with different abilities and inabilities. We have very much in common. And of course, our uniqueness is our difference, but we really belong to one race, and that's the human race. And coming from two different perspectives and joining together is an extremely powerful experience both for Derek and myself and equally for the audience. So I don't know if that touched you the way it did me but it reminds us that we have an obligation. What would we do? It always I always try to put myself this is that's probably why I love history so much because you try to put yourself in the shoes of those at the time. We know that many, the majority of people, would keep their mouths shut. And I like what she says at the end. We, why, are, why are you touring <clears throat> with, your, with Derek, your, your friend? Excuse me. <clears throat> I don't have a, one of those buttons. But, and why are you doing this together? Uh, this, the grandson of an SS guard and the daughter of a Holocaust survivor. Because it's uh, the, our humanity. We could easily be on either side of that equation. And that's why it's important to speak out. And this is why, I mean, if this, for all of this coming together, that we, when we talk about here, about leaving no one behind, about the humanity of the, the, the refugees, of caring about our fellows, our fellow Americans, our fellow humans, of giving a shit, of being conscious. 
This is the obligation we owe to the to to each other and to rectify the horrors of history. That's why one of the things that always got me insane was that notion. I kept hearing it all the time. I would hear it on Tom Hartman constantly, too. I love Tom Hartman. Sometimes it gets on my nerves, whatever. But <clears throat> for different reasons, <laughs> one of which is that he often, okay, I won't get into it because I'll go off on a tangent. He says that FDR was a corrupt Democrat. That's not true. And became, you know, this great liberal um, hero. That's not true. He was not, he was not, he, he started his career going up against Tammany Hall. Okay, whatever. That's for another time. But he, him and others would talk about this Godwin's law as if we have somehow evolved past our, uh, this, this horrific event in, in history. It, you, can't, you can't mention the Holocaust. And if anybody doesn't know what Godwin's law is, it's not a law, of course. Let me look it up and get the exact definition. It's not a law. It's some stupid internet thing that somebody made up, some person made up, Godwin's Law, the Godwin's Rule of Hitler's Hitler Analogies. It's an internet adage that asserts as an online discussion grows longer, the probability of a comparison involving Nazis or Hitler approaches. That is, if an online discussion, regardless of topic or scope, goes on long enough, sooner or later, someone will compare something to Adolf Hitler or his deeds. The point in which, effectively, the discussion thread ends. Get the fuck out of here. Promulgated by the American attorney Mike Godwin and author Mike Godwin in 1990, Godwin's Law, originally referred specifically to Usenet group discussions, is now applied to any threaded online discussion, such as internet forums, forums chat rooms, and comment threads, as well as speeches, articles, and... I, it, this is such an insult to everyone, who have, every person on earth. It's an insult to every person, all the, the 50 million human souls and animals <laughs> as well. We often forget uh, the, uh, and the toll that it takes on the environment, war, the, 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 the us, human beings, what we do to trample anything gets, gets in our way, but... So, uh, but all 50 million, I think it was not even 50, it's 55 million people died in the, and not just the Holocaust, in World War II. The, it is such an insult to everyone who ever f stood up to fascism that you can't discuss it as if, are we that evolved? Did we evolve past that, that, those kind of atrocities when I wasn't looking? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. In fact, my opinion is you can't bring it up enough. Godwin's law, it's a way of dismissing the pain, the actual history. It's a way of washing our hands of it by saying, oh, Godwin's law, can't discuss it. Because why? We had Nazis marching in the streets of New York. When Hitler was rising to power, they loved him. The German American Bund, we or however you pronounce it, Bund or Bund, it's not 
brought up enough. We should be hypersensitive to anything that stinks of fascism, of this kind of inhumanity. That's how it begins. It's not okay for, for Twitler to compare refugees seeking asylum to an invasion. That's a Nazi tactic. I don't give a shit about Godwin's law. If we don't, we don't point out uh, uh, history, aren't we doomed to repeat it? It's repeating it with, right in front of our eyes as, as Twitler takes a page out of the authoritarian playbook. Oh, sure, there's no um, gas chambers yet, but the gas chambers didn't come the second they took power. It happened slow. Slowly over time. The inhumanity. How is it okay? How, is it, how do you think a Nazi is capable, as, as this woman, as she writes, as her father, I mean, as she read her father's diary, as he writes, his, his job was to hold the capo's lunch while he shoots somebody and he goes on about eating his sandwich with appetite. How does a human being do, do that to another human being? They do it because they don't even think that it, that is a human being. And it begins with the propaganda about invasions. About people coming to take what's yours. About some people are dirty. They're not even people. They're like rats. They're like a, an infestation, like a caravan coming here to slit your throat in the middle of the night, taking over. This is happening now with this rhetoric. That's how you get to put children, you get to separate children from their families and not even write down where the F to find them. Because it's not worth your ma- it's not worth your time. It's not a human being with feelings, with an emotion, with love, who wants to live. That's the one thing. Everything we we have in common with every living thing, with a central nervous system, is that we want to live. And that's why I don't eat meat. Not that I'm you know saying I'm the greatest, but I believe that one day. We need to open our consciousness into, obviously we have, uh, human beings are closed, closed down. We, we need to extend our consciousness to our, to every human being and every other living creature that we share this planet with. If we are to survive, we're not going to survive without understanding that we're just a part of this whole and like what's going on now with the coronavirus. One thing that pissed me off besides everything else is that, you know, this coronavirus, where did it begin? It began in, they, they think, right? Where did it begin? Coronavirus began in oh, one of these 
animal markets. One of these filthy slaughter mills, this horrible step into hell that, uh, that living creatures endure. Living creatures that, there's no, I mean, to me, honestly, there, there's the worst bottom feeders on earth are the, the abusers of animals and, of course, the abusers of children who can't fight back. But, so, I mean, there's so many bottom feeders, I guess, when you think about it. Of course, yeah, I hate Nazis. Right, obviously. Just like Joe Biden. Just like Hitler. I mean, uh, Twitler. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a... Uh, you're not going out on a limb saying, oh boy, you hate, uh, you know, you stand against Nazis. But um, here in... In in um, in New York, actually, there's there's like 85 live animal markets in this city, in this modern metropolis. I don't know where. I know there's some in in um, in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, in Williamsburg. It's disgusting. It could have this virus could have as easily began there as in Wuhan, China. There is no excuse to treat animals like that absolutely none because it's the uh, it, it if that kind of behavior begets worldwide pandemics what is mother nature trying to tell us perhaps it's time to wake the f up and get a clue i don't know there's so many stupid things because human beings don't want to really look at themselves, I guess. I don't know. I find it abhorrent. I find it, it it's disgusting. It's all, uh, I, uh, it's all related to what we just played, that clip. Inhumanity, the depravity of separating people in your mind into those who deserve to live and those who don't, they're not even part of the consideration but the point is everybody everything wants to live and we all have a right and we all have value in this thing as you see once you start effing with the equation shit goes awry so we need to have a bit more respect for our planet the people we share it with and other creatures Look at this. So this vi- this is, and this brings me on to another. It's all related. Something that I saw last week, and I almost had an aneurysm because I'm like, what the? This is the stuff that makes me say, we're done, we're doomed, we're too stupid, and maybe we deserve it. So according to. Well, you guys know I was raised Catholic. It doesn't matter. My mother was a nun. So that's fine. I know a little bit about this religion, Catholicism. Um, Okay. This is from the Washington Post. Because coronavirus has led to enough sacrifices, Catholic bishops say it's okay to eat meat on Fridays during Lent. What? When I saw that, I was like, talk about 
a backwards ass way of looking at what is a sacrifice? Eating meat? You've had, you've sacrificed enough. This effing coronavirus is is flying all over the globe, killing people because somebody wanted to eat meat. So the Catholic Church, instead of having, um, instead of leading, right? Instead of taking that flock, how many Catholics are there on earth? I know it's a hell of a lot. 1.2 billion. Are you serious? So the 1.2 billion Roman Catholics, I guess I'm considered one of them, since I was confirmed in the church, they probably got my name somewhere. <sighs> instead of leading, instead of having a consciousness, this is what is so abhorrent. You know, we all love, oh, Pope Francis, he's supposed to be so progressive. I guess, um, yeah, when you look at the options, no, there's nothing progressive about a church that says you've sacrificed enough eat some more animals when this entire goddamn pandemic came from the fact that somebody wanted to eat a fucking animal. Instead of saying this is an opportunity, you $1.2 billion sheeples, billion dollar, billion, I don't know. I don't know why billion dollar just came out. Billions, well, I guess it all is about the unholy dollar. Pass around the basket. You $1.2 billion, billion person. Um, let's take a moment and reflect on what it means to be a good steward of the earth. What does that mean? What does Jesus mean? Let's pretend it's all about Jesus and not the unholy dollar for a minute. Instead of saying, you've sacrificed enough, what about telling the 1.2 billion people that it's time we look at how we share this planet with its other inhabitants, including the, the creatures who share, they have, a, they have the same central nervous system that we have. They love, they feel, they have the, they feel fear, they suffer, they feel pain. They have the same chemical in their brains that we have that makes us feel like we're in love. They bond with their young. They bond with their with others. If anybody anybody who's ever had a pet knows that they love, they feel they may not write poetry or songs about it, but they are they love. They want to live. And I know people say, oh, well, um, they eat each other. So why can't we eat them? Well, are we, that's, that's the standard? You know, uh, monkeys, yeah, peop, dogs eat their own shit too. So chow down. Go right ahead. We're a little bit more evolved, I would think. They don't have spaceships circling Mars. They're not uh, exploring the outer reaches of the galaxy. We want to be like them? I don't know. I thought we were a, l a little bit more conscious. But I get it.
I have a belief. Some people don't believe it. That's fine. Whatever. Um, I think that the fact is, if you're the, uh, I mean, what's the consequences? They say if uh, eating meat, you know, it was bad. You clogged your arteries, all this stuff. So, I don't know. The world, everything's a feedback machine. It's your mirror. So, I think my personal opinion in the future, I've said this before, a hundred years, not a hundred, a thousand, maybe two thousand years from now, there will be human beings. If there are human beings, if we are going to make it, human beings will, will look back and say, can you believe that there was, once was a thing called a factory farm? Can you believe that our ancestors used to eat animals? I, I think that in order for us to survive, we're, we will evolve away from that. We, it's not that you can't. I mean, chickens eat their uh, omnivores too. They, just, they eat whatever the fuck is put in front of them. Like garbage disposals. Pig, they say, oh, well, pigs, pigs, they don't, but they're, um, if that's the standard, they eat, other creatures eat, uh, eat each other. Pigs eat whatever's put in front of them too. But cows, what do cows eat? So if you're going to eat a cow, does, is that the standard? You only eat animals that eat other animals? So don't eat cows. Eat Eat only the garbage disposals, like um, chickens and pigs. I don't know. We have to have, uh, in my opinion, whatever. This is fucking terror buster. What are you going to do? Um, it's really about consciousness and compassion. That's why I stopped eating meat, because I had an awareness. Not that, I mean, for many years I was, I was not even thinking about it. It didn't cross my mind. I still thought I was a good person. I'm, every, people are good people. I know me, most people I know eat meat, and they're good people. So, but I kind of couldn't stop thinking about, um, you know, the, uh, the animals. I had to, I realized that I had, I was in denial. And then I had, I couldn't eat meat that was on the bone. Because that made me think about what I was doing, about what I was eating, the thing that, I, the creature that I was eating that wanted to live. So, and it's, and it's just a matter of um, being the, it's just the commodification of everything, of life. It matters it is a reflection on us and it also reflects on how we are treated how we treat each other how the people in power how the capitalists the the elites view us they easily would uh commodify us to the point of slavery again if they could and do not be be fooled just because there's a consciousness now that says that most human beings say oh you know what slavery is wrong human beings on the planet say that they kind of know oh yeah that's wrong that's not a good thing but for thousands of years human beings endured slavery 
and lived in slave societies without batting an eye. So I believe that's the same what's going to happen with uh, as far as eating meat is, con- is concerned. That pr- thousands of years from now, there has to be a consciousness raising. And there will, if we will s- survive, the com- that compassion has to be the highest value. And I know how the, the Nazis twisted compassion. They said, oh, well, they're killing the um, disabled because, well, who wants to live like that? But that's what right-wingers do. They, take, they always take the mantle of, of liberalism, of progressivism, of what's inherently correct, and they twist it. So this, this article, because coronavirus has led to enough sacrifices, Catholic bishops say it's okay to eat meat on Fridays during Lent. I couldn't believe my eyes, really, how, how, and I just thought, we're, we're doomed. We're effing doomed. This is, that's the leaders, you know? But what do I expect? Because this is a church that says that women are not as close to God as men are. You see, if you don't have uh, a Y chromosome, you're not as divine, and they have a, a God who's a man, you know what I mean? Because they're so tiny and little, they, they need a tiny little God. If you're going to get a God, why do you want a God that looks just like you? If that's not the height of arrogance. And it's also the height of arrogance to say, uh, you know what God is. You know what he's saying. You know he has, a, he has a penis? God is a man with a penis. This is what always baffled me. What is, why? Why? Where does he relieve himself? Does he have an anus too? That, any church, that's why I'm like, I had to abandon that faith, like many people do. Because I have, I, I don't hate myself that much to sit in a church that says, I'm not an equal partner here. I'm not as divine. I need a conduit to the divine, to the divine giant man cloud. Cloud on, I mean, man on a cloud. Well, he could be a cloud, maybe. I'd probably believe it more if it was a cloud. Instead of a man. Some man? Jesus Christ. I wish, frankly. Jesus Christ. I wish. You know, it's it's a con. It's the God con. That's the, that's the biggest con going. God is a man. Give me a break. Anybody, I, I mean, that's the whole thing. The problem with earth and us as humans, in my opinion, is that uh, the arrogance, the, uh, the, 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 the propagating such erroneous teachings, like women are uh, lower on the ladder, you see? But this is the kind of society that we live in, right? Everything is a, that's the conservative way. Hierarchy. The world is scary, so you got to break people up into hierarchies. So they know their place. And when everybody knows their place, 
there then we'll be in utopia when we all get in our place. The problem is that when people break out of their place, when women want a seat at the table, when gays want to be equal, I mean, that's crazy. That's okay. It's, it's the conservative way. It's the way it is in when they have control of government, and that's the way it is in church, with the church. You know, I sat in that church myself for many years. I still go when my I go with my aunt on on occasion. She still goes. I the reason she goes, in my opinion, is because she's uh you know it's culture to her. They she's Irish Catholic, so and it, she considers it um almost like an obligation for to her culture and uh, honoring all those the Irish Catholics who were persecuted by the English. So, in that way, she it's a cultural thing. But she, you know, whatever. I don't know. It's, uh, if you're, if, it's, it's malpractice, in my opinion, to tell your 1.2 billion uh, followers to eat meat because you've, su- you've sacrificed enough without a thought without a passing thought to the creature that you are consuming. Where'd that creature come from? How are they treated? Did that, and you're eating that suffering? Are you kidding me? Father, isn't it your job, Father, to look a little bit within? to look deeper in the human condition and try to bring out the better in people? And it's, isn't it better to, to expand that, that circle of compassion to everything? Don't we have an obligation to do that? Because when we don't do that, look what happens. Now we're all stuck in the house because somebody wanted to eat meat. And they didn't give a shit how they treated the animals and what was going on. And they don't give a shit about each other. That's the bottom line. How do you care about your fellow humans when you're, you're just peddling shit at them and saying, yum, yum, eat it up, eat it up. Unbelievable. So in late, well, this was just to summarize the article. In late February, oh wait, where the heck did that happen? What happened there? Move something. Um, countless Christians pledge, pledge to give up vices like alcohol, chocolate, and Netflix during Lent. What they didn't know was that in the coming weeks, they'd be giving up social gatherings, concerts, televised sports, eating in restaurants, and virtually every other aspect of ordinary life. As the novel coronavirus has given new meaning to a season of self-sacrifice, some faith leaders are granting worshipers a pass from traditional Lenten rituals. On Thursday, Bishop James F. Well, it's not F. James F. Cecchio, whose diocese in New Jersey includes about 600,000 Catholics, announced that he was waiving the requirement to abstain from eating meat. On Fridays, both the food shortages and the grocery stores and the fact that people were already sacrificing. I said, yeah. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought that your Jesus sacrificed it all. 
Unreal. And to put those together, to say that giving up meat is some kind of sacrifice. The first, first off, we know why we uh, Catholics don't eat meat, right? On uh, during Lent or on Friday. Let me see. Should have got this article. I wasn't really expecting to talk about this. It, it goes back to, of course, money. It always does. It's not about some kind of, you know, uh, being holy. This is from NPR. The lust, lies, and empire. The fishy tale behind eating fish on Fridays. It sounds like a plot of a Dan Brown thriller. A powerful medieval pope makes a secret pact to prop up the fishing industry that ultimately, ultimately alters global economics. The result? Millions of Catholics around the world end up eating fish on Fridays as part of a religious observance. The real politic explanation of why Catholics eat fish on Friday has circulated for so long that many people grew up believing it is fact. Some, myself included, even learned it in Catholic school. It's a humdinger of a tale, a kind of conspiracy, the kind that conspiracy theorists can really sink their teeth into. But is it true? Many people have searched the Vatican archives, but they have found nothing, says Brian Fagan, a professor emeritus of archaeology at the University of California, whose book, Fish on Fridays, explores the impact of this practice in Western culture. The real economic story behind Fish on Fridays turns out to be much better. Let's start with a quick lesson in theology. According to Christian teaching, Jesus died on a Friday. And, th and his death is redeemed, a sinful world. People have written about uh, um, a fasting on Friday to commemorate this sacrifice as early as the 5th century. Oh, no, the 1st, it says. 1st century. My eyes are shut. Technically, it's the flesh of warm-blooded animals that's off-limits, an animal that, in a sense, sacrificed it's life for us, if you will, explains Michael Foley, an associate professor of Baylor University and the author of Why Do Catholics Eat Fish on Friday? The fish, fish are cold-blooded, so they are considered fair game. If you were inclined to eat reptiles on Friday, Foley tells it, the salt uh, tells the salt, you could do that too. Alas, Christendom never really developed a hankering for snake, but fish, well, they've been associated with sacred holidays even in pre-Christian times, and also a number of meatless days piled up on the medieval calendar. Um, not just Fridays, but Wednesdays and Saturdays, Advent and Lent and other holy days, the hunger for fish grew. Indeed, fish fasting days became central to the growth of the global fishing in industry, but not because of a pope and his secret pact. At first, says Fagan, Christians' religious appetite was largely met with herring, a fish that was plentiful but dry and tasteless when smoked or salted. The preservation was a must in medieval times. There's no good way for fresh fish to reach the devout masses. Eventually, cod became all the rage. It tasted better when cured and lasted longer. The Vikings were ace at preserving cod. They used dried salted card, cod as a form of beef jerky on long ocean passages. 
And the route that the Vikings took at the end of the first millennium in Greenland, Iceland, and Newfoundland matches up with the natural range of the Atlantic cod. It's possibly... It's possible that others may have followed the Cod Trail to Canada before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Clues suggest that the English fishermen from Bristol may have made a voyage around 1480, but kept mum on the location, lest the competition rush in. By some accounts, both Columbus and John Cabot had heard these adventures when they set off on their own epic journeys west. Why do people go over the horizon, Fagan says. In the case of the North Atlantic, after the Norse, they went looking for cod. So that's the empire part of this saga. Funny enough, while the Pope's story is a fishy tale, an official lender of a church did make fish fasting the law for purely practical reasons. For that story and the lust in our headline, we turn to a monarch known as Henry VIII. By the time Henry ascended to the throne in 1509, fish dominated the menu for the good part of the year. As the 15th century, English schoolboy lamented in his notebook, though will not believe how weary I am fish, off fish, and how much I desire that flesh were in, I can't even pronounce this, in Agen. But after Henry became smitten with Anne Molin, English fish-eating took a nosedive. You see, Henry was desperate for his, uh, d- with his desire for Anne, but Anne wanted a wedding. So the problem was Henry had already had a wife, Catherine of Aragon, and the Pope refused to annul the decades-long marriage, so Henry broke off the Roman, with the Roman Catholic Church and declared himself head of the Church of England and divorced Catherine so he could marry Anne. Suddenly, eating fish became political. Fish was seen as a popish flesh that lost favor as fast as Anglicanism took root. That's interesting, right? Fishermen were hurting, so much so that Henry's young son, Edward Edward VI, took over in 1547 fast days that were reinstated by law for worldly and civil policy, quote-unquote, to spare the flesh and use fish for the benefit of the commonwealth, where many, where many be fishers and use the trade of living. In fact, fish fasting remained surprisingly influential in global economics well into the 20th century. As one epic economic analysis noted, U.S. US fish prices plummeted soon after Pope Paul VI loosened fastening rules in the 60s, The Friday meat ban, by the way, still applies to the Lenten fast. A few years before the Vatican relaxed rules, Lou Gorin, an enterprising McDonald's franchise owner in a largely Catholic part of Cincinnati, found himself struggling to sell burgers on Friday. His solution? Filet-O-Fish. While not exactly the miracle of loaves and fishes, Groen's, Goen's little battered sandwich has fed millions around the world. So, anyway, is the I thought that was an interesting article. I had read that bef- not online, on, not on the show, but I've read it before. And it's, as we know, this fish on Friday, this eating meat, these Lenten fast days, it's all about money. And they wrap it around the veneer of some kind of religious ritual. And anyway, um, it's bullshit. 
is the bottom line. It's all bullshit. We need to beget. We need to beget. And I'm, ta- I'm talking like I'm in the 15th century. We need to become. We need to expand our compassion. Many of us have inherent compassion. Some, some too much. Sometimes I wish I was a sociopath, quite frankly. That I wouldn't cry watching the Humane Society commercials. Or, you know, or th- those always get me. Or the, is that the, yeah, that's the Humane, oh, the ASPCA commercials. But I'm checking in. Let me see. Where the hell are you guys? We got some people here tonight. Not that many, I have to say. We got no super chats. Wonderful. Great. Everything's working out. Great. Let me see who's here. I'm taking attendance. Patricia. Hello. Ed. Hello. Daniel. Executive decision. Daniel. 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 I see you. Ed the first. Where the heck's the rest of you? Tamara. Resist, evolve. Andrea, hello, hello. <gasps> Who the heck just put out a super chat? Mark, thank you, Mark. Els, Greg, everyone. We're gonna we're gonna get into it. We're getting into it right now. What time is it? Let me see. Oh my God, we, that was an hour went by. Holy shit, this is crazy. I don't know, guys. It goes by really fast for me. This time we spent together. Anyway, let's get into what happened with Bernie. Um, as you see, I love Bernie. I've always loved Bernie. It's not about Bernie, though. It's about the policies. We know that. So Bernie conceded. He's dropped out of the race, but he's. I'm glad. He's continuing on with gathering delegates. Good. We need to vote for him. He needs to have as many delegates as possible to get to the convention and have influence over the platform. And that's what it's about. And not just the platform. You can have a very wonderful and glowing, uh, glowingly progressive platform and do goddamn nothing about it. Hello, Shannon. I just saw you there saying hello. Where's our moderator? I don't know. Haiku? He's not here. I haven't seen him. I don't know where he is. In fact, I was thinking today, where the heck has Haiku been? I hope everybody's okay. I hope Haiku is okay. And yeah, these are tough times. I hope he's not sick. I hope he's just busy. And Terry. Hello, Terry. Didn't mean to skip you out there. So, all right. But they're, okay, this is, what am I saying? What am I saying? Let me gather, gather the thoughts. Where's my cat's? Okay, good. Everybody's Tara Jr.'s over there. Francis! Where's Francis? Francis! (laughs) He don't listen. He won't listen. Maybe he will. He surprises me sometimes. I call him, he comes running and like, oh, oh, hey, what's up? What? You call me? He's very cute. He knows his name. But, um, yeah. So, they're already uh, What's the word? Seeding the ground. They're already setting it up. Setting up the fall for their electable candidate. I thought Joe Biden was 
the most electable candidate. This is is the argument. We need somebody who's going to beat Trump. So why? Why is it so important for for Bernie to give him to uh, come out of the gate with glowing praise for Joe Biden? He's doing what he he's supposed to do. It's not about Bernie. It's about restoring this goddamn democracy, fixing it from the likes of a Joe Biden. Let me play this something that pissed me off. On MSNBC, of course, they had, I know, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, James Carville went on there. Oh, of course, they got to get James Carville in there. Remember how James Carville and Claire were like, oh, Claire and James and James, would you get on the phone, James, and, and, and F up this little socialist over here and get on the phone to Jeff Bezos and, and uh, Tom Steyer? to put his money into effing up the American people's chance of getting a seat at the table? J- Come on, please, James. And he was on Brian Williams. Here's the statement. Sanders said he would stay on the ballot in the remaining states and continue to gather delegates to impact the party platform, presumably to impact the convention, assuming it's in Milwaukee and not on Zoom. Back with us are James Carville and Michael Steele. So, James, what changed today? What should happen in the Democratic Party starting tomorrow? And what's this about staying on the ballot and continuing to roll up delegates? Oh, my well, God. Well, as you're pretty aware, I was not a fan of Senator Sanders' candidacy. I was, I was not born. <laughs> really? However, every political professional, I mean, they had dreams. I mean, he's playing and he and his wife had a dream and the people that worked on the campaign and it looked good for him. F you. That's what pissed me off right there. Let's listen again. I mean, they had dreams. I mean, he ran and he and his wife had a dream and the people that worked on the campaign and it looked good for him for a while. He didn't have a dream. That's not his dream to be president. He wasn't like, oh, I want to be president for the mere fact of being president. He had a dream. He has a, uh, a an ambition, not for himself. It's never been about Bernie. It's been an ambition to restore the American working class from the working poor that the DLC Democrats like James Carville helped create. To, it's a dream of, of a living wage, retirement security, upward mobility, income equality instead of, in, instead of record income inequality that we have. How does James Carville sleep at night? Really? All of them? I wonder. Is it, it's the same denial that we talked about in the beginning of the show with the, with the women uh, watering their flowers while the, uh, the, the concentration camp was on the move, while human beings were getting shot while living skeletons were walking by and they were ringing their church bells, come to church, ding dong, ding dong, while people were being shot to death for being too slow, too sick and slow to keep up. So it's not a dream. You know who had a dream to be president above all else? 
damn the policies, damn the American people? Joe Biden. He's had this dream for years, and it's for himself. It's not because he wanted to do something for the people. It's, one, it's because he wants to be president. What does Joe Biden stand for? What, what year is it? What time is it? I'll, I'll get back to you. Because it depends on what you're talking about, who you're talking about. What's the political advantage here? What are we trying to do? Are we try- what kind of a person are we trying to attract? What kind of voter are we appealing to? Who are we speaking to? I have no idea what Joe Biden stands for. He's a Democrat. He's a real Democrat. Whatever that means. In my opinion, Bernie's a real Democrat. He's not. Joe Biden is a corporatist. He's a right-wing corporatist. He's a Republican. He's a sane Republican. That's not. Uh, that does. That doesn't like Nazis. Unbelievable. So I thought that. I thought that he was such an electable candidate. What is this continued pile-on Bernie setting him up for taking the fall when Joe Biden shits the bed? I thought he was so electable. Isn't this the argument? That's what is getting me. It's pissing me off. We need somebody who can beat Trump. We need an electable candidate. If he's so electable, what are you so nervous about? What do you need? Bernie, this, this weirdo off, the, off in the left. Uh, you know, dismiss him and us. Dismiss the entire progressive base, your youth, your future. I thought that that was the plan here. Dismiss it because Joe Biden's so electable that what's the, what doesn't matter. We got to get Joe Biden in there. He's so goddamn electable. Bernie had a dream? No, bitch. It's not Bernie's dream. It's our dream. It's the people. Human beings. We the people. The middle class that's now fifty below 50% of the population thanks to the neoliberal policies that you peddle. James Carville, thanks to you and Claire McCaskill, you know, getting things done, like the Iraq war, like the bankruptcy bill, like the crime bill that has, has the, uh, the United States of America, the land of the free, with the most human beings in prison. You know, I guess because we're, we, I guess we're just such... Such uh, dregs here in the U- United States of serfs and lords. I don't know how every other country doesn't have as many prisoners. We must really be a bunch of losers here. They need so many prisons. Can't contain them all. There's so many humans in prison. I Why? I guess we just suck here. In compared to the world. But we're the greatest country on earth, right? We could do anything, right? Except what we need to do. Except Medicare for all. Except restore democracy. Except build a, gra- the, a country from the ground up. And ensure that, an, a, uh, that a vibrant middle class, economically vibrant, politically engaged, aware, not stupid, middle class, that doesn't have to have a side hustle, 
to get things, you know, to get their, uh, to have a decent middle-class life. They can have one job and have some nice retirement security and go on a vacation now and then and have sick leave and be able to see a doctor when they get sick and not worry about whether they got to go on GoFundMe. That doesn't have to worry that neoliberals like James Carville is going to get the neoliberal candidates, the wine cave crowd, to send their jobs overseas. You know, stuff like that, that made Twitter possible to begin with. So why is he, what's the, what are you so nervous about? What do you need Bernie? He had a dream. No, it's never been about Bernie's dream. And we know that. This is why the corporate media is useless. And honestly, I'm telling you guys, if you believe in what we do here, then we, I can't do it alone. We have to grow this channel, grow the show, and support the liberal media. This is the liberal media. That's not the liberal media. James Carville sitting up there on MSNBC spewing bullshit. That's not the liberal media. That's the corporate media. A corporate media that, that Bill Clinton deregulated and created. He created the corporate media, and they're not going to let go of power that easily. So it's only just begun, this revolution. That's why when, when they asked Hillary on Howard Stern, why won't you get out of the race? I mean, why won't uh, you disappear? They asked her, um, Howard Stern asked her, why won't you disappear like they want you to? And she said, oh, uh, my enemies, I'm not going to disappear because my enemies would like it. Really? That's why? It's not because you're appalled that the United States went from the most to least upwardly mobile with the widest income gap of all of our Western partners? What? It's not because you, you read that Princeton survey, that study that they did, that said the wants and needs of working people have a statistically insignificant effect on government policy. It's not because you, you know that the American people, that the stupid health care system, this immoral, this greed-centered health care racket is the stupidest idea to attach healthcare to somebody's job that makes you nothing but an indentured servant, a, a, a servant to your master, holding where your master holds the power of life and death over you and your family, so you don't have the freedom to get the f out if you're sick of it, because you need your you need your healthcare, you got to take it, eat it up, lick it up. Await your reward in heaven. They'll get you there quicker, Republicans and Dem and DLC Dems. It's not because that. She didn't say, I'm here, I'm not disappearing, because 85 million Americans have either no health care or next to nothing health care. That the United States health racket 
is the measurably worst health racket in the entire world. We're the only country where people have to they they where people needlessly die putting off avoiding health care because they can't afford it, avoiding going to the doctor. We where we have thirty five thousand Americans needlessly dying every year for lack of care. I'm not getting out of the race because I know that even though we passed this Republican health care plan known as Obamacare, that that many people, most, that's why we have more people uh, uninsured. They can't afford it. And even if they have insurance, they can't go to the doctor because they can't cover the deductible. I'm not in, I'm in this race. I mean, I'm still sticking around because, not because my enemies will like it too much if I leave, if I shut my mouth. No, I'm in this race because I don't want to leave anybody behind. I'm fighting for the working class. She didn't say that. So these people, they're just like Republicans, where they ascribe their own failings on everybody else. They project. Yeah, Joe Biden has a dream to be president. He's been at it a long-ass time, and he's been rejected again and again and again. And... He was rejected for, for numerous reasons. One was plagiarism. He can't even come up with his own goddamn ideas. What, is, why, what idea? If He doesn't give a shit. He wants to be president. What, what, you, what idea you got? Here, put, slap it on the page. I mean, what, that's the act of somebody who has ambitions. Who, who's their uh, their ambitions are before their principles? You don't see Bernie doing that. You don't see Bernie going around saying, "Oh, oh yeah, just slap that that climate change plan over here, whatever." Take that on off uh, off of that website and put it on my website. Or any other thing. Or uh, ideas. What ideas? You need ideas to deal with healthcare. How many fucking ideas? You don't need ideas. There's no idea. You only need the ideas when you're trying to keep a broken system entrenched. Then you got to throw subsidies and all kinds of bullshit rules and 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 trying to make it less less disgusting and inhumane. You know, but while still keeping the broken, measurably worse health care on earth intact because it makes a few people very rich. So that's what they got to do. So it's not about, you know, that's what so pissed me off listening to James Carville fucking ugh, dance on Bernie's grave. Oh, he's got, you know, he had dreams. Yeah, the dream of having uh, the American people actualize uh, a decent middle-class life instead of seeding the ground of a system that made a fascist possible, a filthy, disgusting con man. The people of this country were so beat upon and put put upon and so sick of a broken system that gives them nothing 
that sends their jobs to China because it's profitable for a few that says to them, you matter nothing. They were so sick of it that they put, they put a giant orange Molotov cocktail into the mix. Let's vote for this con man. Let's the stupid, racist, orange, damn, ugly-looking con man with a fake university and a vitamin scam. Yeah, it's a lot of racism, of course, involved in these in these Trump bandsies. But the, that's how they do it too. Instead of unifying the country, that's how you unify. You don't say subsidy for you, nothing for you. Oh, okay, so healthcare for some, nobody else, you get nothing. You don't leave anybody behind, you scumbags. That's how you unify the country. You don't go, yay, uh, every 7 o'clock. Oh, that's nothing. That's wonderful. It's just, it's, it's putting niceties around the, the, the absolute catastrophe of the broken system. Make it, oh, we're, f- yay. Wonderful, wonderful. How about, you know, um, I don't see, I never saw, what's his face, James Carville, getting all upset, talking about the, the reality of people's lives, that they don't have 400 effing dollars in the bank. That's a failure of government. That's a failure of neoliberalism. They should look at Twitter and say, we have failed. We created him, not Bernie. Bernie, we've been trying to avoid this. We've been telling you. We've been telling these, these ivory tower, fake-ass Dems who want to get back to brunch what the problem is. They don't want to listen. You think it's okay? They, did they really think it's okay to send millions of jobs to low-wage, no-regulation, wage-slave nations? They think that, that that's going to go over real well with, a major- with, a, with certain parts of the population? It should be a disgusting uh, showing for all of us. I remember Clinton. I remember when it happened. And Ross Perot was right. And Twitter is already going after Joe Biden on these on these really very concerning faults that he has about NAFTA, CAFTA, free trade. Oh, but I thought he was so electable. It's not, yeah. You know, as this this Skeletor, James Carville, he had dream. I feel bad for him. Is that the extent of your compassion? You fake-ass Democrat. Oh, I feel bad for somebody when they lose an election. That's my compassion. That's, that's it. That's a period and a sentence. He's got no compassion for the Americans on GoFundMe begging for health care. How about them? You got compassion for them? You got co- compassion for Americans who are working their three uniquely American low-paying jobs in this goddamn gig economy that you helped create through your NAFTA-CAFTA bullshit kiss-up, kick-down deals? 
you should be just as outraged. That's why I don't understand how Democrats think it's okay. If you're, you're, you're not a Democrat then, I'm flipping the switch here. I'm flipping the script on these bastards. We're the real Democrats. Bernie is the real Democrat. These people are imposters. Who are they? If FDR was alive, he'd slap him with, their, with its crutch. He'd be so pissed off what these, these Dems, these so-called Dems, have done. Do they see the forest through the trees? He, he would tell them. And Truman, right? You don't win elections by acting like Republicans. How about you take a page out of the successful history of the Democratic Party? Stop trying to be Wall Street's darling, uh, uh, Wall Street and Main Street. You know, rise and fall together, which they don't. We're stupid. We really are. I, I complain about Republicans, yes, because they're dumb. They're dumb and racist. We try not to be, at least. We try. We, uh, I would, so let's try this, fake Democrats, if you're hanging around this channel and you're like, who's this bitch? going off uh, and s dividing the party. Look at yourself. Look at the scam they run on you. Is it okay? What is a Democrat? What does it mean to be a Democrat? Is that really somebody who doesn't care that th the American people doesn't, don't have 400 goddamn dollars in the bank? Do you care enough to do something about it? Do you understand that that is why we have a Twitler? And do you think, now that we have a Joe Biden as the nominee, as the presumptive nominee, you think that maybe you have an obligation to give him a clue so he can stop peddling his neoliberal bullshit that's going to get him not elected, it's going to get us four more years of Trump. This electable. Yeah, I think we're so... We're, we're being played, too. They play us like... The, Demo the DLC Democrats play their, their base, so-called. The fake-ass Dems. Just like the Republicans play their base. They play them. They do the abortion thing. They talk about Jesus. They get them on board that way. But they're really about funneling money into the 1%. And keeping it that way. They throw them the bones. That's what the DLC Democratic Party does to their base. They pretend. They throw them bones. They say, oh, you should be able to go to the bathroom of your choice. Your whatever you want. Who cares? Yeah, wonderful. We should. While funneling money to the top. Oh, they'll trickle. They'll trickle a little bit more. They're kinder and gentler. They, they are. They won't let you starve in the streets. They'll extend unemployment benefits to 99 weeks. They'll fight for people under $75,000 a year to, have, to go to uh, higher education. They'll throw subsidies at us. But guess what? That keeps us divided as well. It's not, just, it's not about the subsidies. The subsidies are part of the problem. It's everybody in, nobody out. That's the only democratic American value. Otherwise, you get a Twitler. 
into that income disparity, into that resentment, steps Twitler. And, you know, um, it's also how you unify a country. You don't unify a country by saying, we're so divided. Let's all work together and have Republicans and Democrats in our cabinet, like Mitt Romney as, as something or other, and AOC as some uh, ambassador to the UN. Some bullshit like Thomas Friedman writes. I mean, these people have platforms, and they, what do they do with it? They should be ashamed. They sound like they're such, I mean, really, honestly, I don't even know. When, when future anthropologists look back at this time, uh, what are they going to say about Thomas Friedman? They're going to say, great idea, Friedman. Or, or was, it, was he just he, talking about tilting at windmills? Fantasies to keep the dum-dums from actually doing something that will fix this thing. You leave nobody behind by leaving nobody behind. Enough. Enough. How much more do they want? Do they have enough at the top? What's, you know, the answer to that question? No. They will not stop until they take it all. And that's why Bernie's still in the race. You, you, you fucking Skeletor. James Carville, you denial, you goddamn mouthpiece of everything that's wrong. Oh, my God. How does somebody look at themselves in the mirror after creating this country, after making Twitler possible? How do they do it? I don't get it. You got to have denial. It's like me when I ate meat. You know, you're in denial about the pain and suffering you inflict. You're part of. I had to not think about it, not think what I was doing. That's what I guess they have to do. Not think about the consequences of their actions, about the real-world consequences. Well, how about they take a trip around GoFundMe someday and say, wow, maybe um, it's, not, uh, it's, not, it's not just immoral, to, uh, to, to suck profit out of people's miseries. It's one of the reasons we're divided. You know, healthcare for some. Let's open up this mind, this human compassion, like Bernie says. Not me, us. So don't talk about, you know, James Carville. What the hell? It's not about Bernie and Jane had a dream. That sounds more like Joe Biden to me. I know what Bernie stands for. You don't have to tell us. We know because he's been saying it for 40 years. What does Joe Biden stand for? Anybody know? He's a Democrat. Oh, right. He's got a, he's a real Democrat. One day he's for... It's cutting Social Security. Another day, he's not. Now he's, a, he's made a mistake. He's for our wars. Now he's not. He made a mistake. Oh, whoopsie. Oh, well, like Bill Clinton made a mistake with the Telecommunications Act of 96. Whoopsie. Here we are. 
living in the consequences. They don't make a mistake. We got to wake the fuck up. Us. We do. But, you know, um, that's why propaganda works. So you have this corporate media go on and on and on talking about, oh, you know, Bernie had a dream. He, I feel bad. He had a dream, you know, that everyone would have a decent middle class life. But that's a fucking fantasy, right? He had a dream that people wouldn't have to beg GoFundMe for their insulin and die because they are cutting it in half on the way to their third job with no benefits and no retirement security. You know, he had a dream that we didn't live in a country where one-third couldn't retire. That kind of, that fantasy land, that's a, what are you talking about? We're living in fantasies when you think that we could be like the rest of the world and have sick leave and living wages and Everyone in, nobody out in health care where you don't have to worry about do you have enough fucking money to go and get this uh, lump checked out? That's how you stop dividing us. It seems so simple to me. That's why the, Rep- the Democrats, these fake-ass Democrats, they got to come up with all kinds of complex plans. There's no plan. No, you don't need it. Everybody in, nobody out. One page. Open up Medicare for all. Bring the Medicare eligibility age to zero. Below zero. How's that? That's it. One page. How about universal health? We open up public schools. That's, you don't have, uh, hey, up until, uh, you're, you want to get a doctorate? Go for it. We invest in each other here. Everybody in, nobody out. We're putting it in for each other. That's how you make a civilization. Not subsidies. Under this amount. That's why FDR, it's so simple. We, it's, not, it's as American as apple pie and social security. This idea, everybody in, nobody out. Don't. Give me, uh, uh, don't give me all your bu- bullshit, your bullshit plans. They know what's right and they know what's wrong. You only have to come up with a bullshit plan when you're trying to keep the bullshit intact. Let me just keep playing this mother effer. Sanders said he would stay. Oh, wait. However, every political professional, I mean, they had dreams. I mean, he ran and he and his wife had a dream and the people that worked a on the dream? campaign and it looked good for him for a yeah, while. Yeah, we had a dream I, I, I that this country, that we also had a dream that maybe the DNC wasn't as um, corrupt, that the establishment wasn't as entrenched, sort of like we could do in a way, what Twitler did with the Republican Party. We had a dream that the run of the mill, the average Democratic voter, wasn't stupid. They could see the forest through the trees. They understood that um, it's just as, it doesn't matter if somebody has a D after their name, if they're peddling Republican policies. God. We had a dream that I had a dream. 
I thought that the American people understood what it means that you can't have democracy and a entrenched oligarchy at the same time. I had a dream that the goddamn American people, the so-called Dems, thought that they understood that corporate media is part of the problem, that they wouldn't be so easily led. It's not about Bernie. What, there's so many things that annoy me on Twitter, listening to average Dems, run-of-the-mill Dems, talking about, oh, I hate him. I want him, uh, I don't know, uh, I, he's not a Democrat. He's just not a Democrat. And I, as I say every week, what does that mean? I don't think James Carville is a Democrat. If you ask me, he's not a Democrat. What's a Democrat? In my world, Democrats don't leave people behind. They don't propose health care plans that keep an entrenched, measurably worst, most expensive health care system in the entire modern, developed world. In, they don't keep that intact. That bankrupts millions, kills thousands, leaves millions out and consistently ranks last or dead last or next to dead last in all positive measures. They don't propose a plan to, to fix that system that leaves that effing system intact that is built on bullshit and still on top of that, the stupid plan, still leaves 10 million behind. In the middle of a pandemic, no less. They don't learn shit. They don't wake up. Do they wake up? I don't know. I don't think so. He's still talking about Medicare for all. It won't fix it. Medicare for all. He proposed. Biden came out with this bullshit. This was yesterday. Uh, I thought I bet he thought he was a real progressive firebrand coming out with his plan to lower the Medicaid elig- eligibility age to 60. Wow, woohoo! Trickle on me, man. Trickle on me. Keep it up. Keep up the trickle. Oh, wow, that's the best we can do. We're not going to, you know, I thought Biden was knew how to get things done. He's electable and he knows how to get things done. What's he getting done? That doesn't suck. That doesn't keep everything in the, in, in the place. All the problems. That doesn't make it worse. That doesn't make it harder for the next generation and the next generation to get this goddamn parasite called the goddamn health insurance racket off our backs like a goddamn lamprey. If there isn't a time to, re- to rest this parasite from off our body politic, when is it? To fix a system that has... I'm sick of looking at James Carl. 
that has that that is so exposed in this pandemic. Come on. Million, who's stupid enough to think that it's normal and successful that a that it is a, a successful plan to have your health care tied to your job? The stupidest. Well, like I said, it's another way of keeping the uppity plebs in their place. And who's stupid enough to, uh, as an average person, to go like, oh, wonderful, he's going to fix Obamacare. That's, if you love your insurance, you can keep it. Oh, my God. Are you, uh, do I have to have this conversation again with these morons? Who? Show me somebody who loves their private health insurance. And do me a favor. Get back to me after you get sick. When you get sick, let me know how much you love your private health insurance. I'm waiting. I want to know. Re-effing ridiculous. How much do we hate ourselves? That's what I always have to ask. And another, another question I ask is, how much longer are we going to take it? How much longer? It, it, bag, it boggles my mind. How much longer are we going to take it? I guess we're going to take it a lot longer. Because people seem to identify with their oppressors. They like it. For some reason, I wish I could agree. I wish I could be like them, maybe. I don't know. In such denial. To be happy. To think that, oh, yeah, um, what a great plan. Lowering the eligibility age of Medicare to 60. Wow. Whoopee, effing doopee. Thank you, my lord. Keep all the keep all the the brokenness intact. Keep it all in in place because it makes a few people very rich. It doesn't matter how many die. Can't you don't we know this by now? They don't care. They don't care how many die. They don't care about the Americans cutting their diabetes medicine in half and dropping dead on the way to their third uniquely American low-paying job. They don't give a shit. That's the system they created. They made that system on purpose. Because democracy is, you know, it might interfere. It might interfere with James Carville in the wine cave. He's, he's making deals. He's not talking about, you think those deals, he's, he's concerned about, the, about people dying? No, they'll, they will sow those, they'll, they'll shed those crocodile tears, but they won't do a goddamn thing about it. If they really cared, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be pushing this corporatist, honestly. I'm getting emails from people and tweets from People who listen to the show. Some people don't like the way I talk. I'm sorry about this. I don't know. I'm saying it because I'm very concerned. 
I see the writing on the wall, and it it concerns me. I'm point, I'm pointing it out. The Republicans don't need me to point this out. They know this already, just like we all know. Just like Joe Biden knew that it was wrong to send people to die for a lie. He knew that, but it was the politically advantageous thing to do at the time, and he did it. That's who he is. He's not. He's a. He's the one that James Carville is talking about. He has a dream to become president. He's been trying to. He's been beating his head against the wall for years now. For some reason, the 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 truth is revealed. The Democratic Party, the establishment Democratic Party, will do anything, just like the establishment Republican Party. They'll do anything to stop the people from getting uppity, from being too uppity, from getting in the way of the wine cave. Unfortunately for the establishment Republican Party, they weren't able to stop Twitler. It's in some ways, you know, we should uh, commend the Trump Anzies. They didn't take no f- for an answer, I guess. They were like, fuck that. I think probably because they've been conditioned to um, not trust government. Not, and the Democrats have been the opposite. So the Democrats, the so-called Democrats, they, they don't see that they're being played too. You know what I mean? And I think that the average Republican, they're also being played. They're, they are being played by a con man, unfortunately. But they're, it's because they were, they were more primed to overthrow the Republican establishment because they didn't trust them. They didn't trust government. The Democrats, the runner, the mill Democrats, the rank and file Democrats, they're, you know, they don't see, I guess their day to day. You start thinking that everything is normal. You think it's normal that when Americans lose or miss one paycheck, they got to go to a food bank. They think it's normal to go on GoFundMe for medical care because they see corporate media pieces, little little uh, feel-good pieces about how the town got together and had a bake sale for someone's cancer treatment. Isn't that wonderful and compassionate? When they should, when the whole frame of the story should be, what? What the fuck? Why is a town getting together and having a, a bake sale for somebody's cancer treatment? That's abhorrent. That is a disgrace. That should that says to us all like a fly a, a blinking neon sign that the for-profit healthcare racket should be dismantled. It shouldn't even exist. And it's as stupid as having the idea of attaching our health care to our goddamn jobs. That's what, the, that's what the corporate media should be saying. Of course, they're not going to say that. I understand that. If we had a media 
that was actually informing the people. That's why shows like this and other liberals, liberal, real liberal shows, require your support. We're counteracting the lies. It takes a lot of work to wake people up. It really does. It has to. Look at us. And that's really the bottom line. The Democratic average Democrats, the run-of-the-mill Democrats, they're, they're more primed to be easily manipulated. I, I believe they have, more, they, they have Stockholm Syndrome. So do the Republicans, the average Republicans, in a different way. But they, I think this is, it's so frustrating to listen to the average Democrats completely miss the forest through the trees. And like I was saying, I think on the last show, it doesn't matter, but, um, you know, uh, you, because I have, in my opinion, right, the average Democrats, they're trying. They want to try. The, that's why they're, they're voting. They believe themselves to be, they're not racist. And if they are, everybody has their biases, they're, they're at least trying. They're trying to be decent people. And they consider themselves decent, of course. So they're, you know, I mean, you hope that they could be reached. You hope that they see that what I see so goddamn clearly in front of me that, and, and that you could give them a clue and they would adapt because that's the difference between Republicans and Democrats, between Republicans and normal people, that normal people, when you give them information, they adjust their ideology. Normal people, um, well, Republicans, let's, they, they don't. Everything's a tax cut. Everything's a deregulation. We, when you, you, they're a cult. They're a, a greed-centered death cult. A racist greed-centered death cult, really. But, yeah, the, the, but the Democrats are trying. They think, okay, great. Democrats, we're getting things done. How do you, when Democrats act like Democrats, just like Harry Truman said, they win elections. He warned them. Do not try this game. Don't play this, this game where Democrats uh, act like Republicans and, and suck up to the rich. But we also, like, like Republicans, we have humans in our party, and they fail. And they're, they're easily led, and they're greedy, and they're selfish, and they're fearful, and they're, they don't want to look at themselves, and they, you know, want a cushy life. They don't see the, uh, the consequences of their actions staring them in the face. But, you know, you hope, I hope, that when I tell them, when you explain to them, Things like you can't have democracy and concentrated wealth at the same time. You have to make your choice. And when you explain to them that, and it was something that they know. 
They know that the middle class is less than 50% of the population. And you explain to them, that's not by accident. That's by government policy. And that we had a time in American history called the Great Prosperity. Not because billionaires felt like trickling it. Because the working class fought. And we had leadership who finally got into power after the Republican Great Depression that knew that, that understood, that built an economy from the ground up. And they say, oh, well, that's because Europe was destroyed and we, uh, you know, that's why the American, uh, uh, the American economy was so strong. It's, that's not the entire story. The fact is, even when we were manufacturing here at home, when, our, when we had a strong manufacturing base that was 35% unionized, and we had laws in place that didn't allow ba- uh, these banksters and CEOs to send their jobs to low-wage, wage-slave nations. We didn't export. Our, the exports of this country were in the range of 5%. So we weren't, ex- ex- that wasn't our market. We were doing well at home. Because of regulations, because people had a decent middle-class life and were able to buy things in the economy and had an American dream, they could, they could have one job that was unionized where the CEO only made 25 times the lowest paid worker, not 450 times. That's part of the problem. And they know this. The Democrats, the average Democrats know this. But what do they do? They want to get back to brunch, I guess. Do you really want to fight? That's what's so annoying to me when I see on Twitter, I get these things from Democrats, so-called Democrats, and they're like, and you, I look on their Twitter handles, I say, who is this person? And I look. And uh, it's all over the, their, their page. Resist. Resist. What are you fucking resisting? Are you resisting consciousness? Are you resisting waking the F up? Are you re- resisting the truth about your electable candidate? About the fact that he's part of the problem? About somebody who says nothing will change? is not inspiring, and, and, and that we're still in a change election, that Twitter is not going to be easy to beat. Even in the coronavirus, after the fact, you see he's already manipulating the lies. That's what he does, the spin. The 35% base, are they're not going to, they're never going to leave him. That's the bottom line. Biden doesn't have that passionate base, not at all. People are just scared. They want to they wanna get rid of Twitter. But the Democratic establishment is so bought and sold to the highest bidder that they would rather risk four more years of Trump than have an uppity working class, than really do something about what, what, what we're up against, than fix this party. To make it the party of FDR. There's so much 
corruption, money. Money is the root of all evil. They say, oh, a lot of James Carville and his thing, oh, yeah, he had dreams. A lot of donors had dreams. What, you know what, the donors? The record number of donors, the individual donors to Bernie's campaign, the only candidate completely funded by the American people? What is Joe Biden saying to his rich benefactors in secret meetings like Hillary had with Goldman Sachs? You think they're talking about the fact that the American people don't have 400 effing dollars for an emergency? They should be embarrassed about that. And, and I'm saying to my Democratic friends, my average Democratic friends, you should be embarrassed too. You're, you're, everyone is one or two or three paychecks away from disaster. We don't have a social safety net. We don't have um, an ideology. We don't have a uh, we're in this together mentality. And now's the time to do something. I don't know. If you can't do it now, it's not going to get done. Believe me. If we don't come out of this fixing the fact that the American people have their goddamn health care tied to their job, if we don't come out of this fixing the fact that the American people, the representatives are so bought and sold to the highest bidder that the wants and needs of working people don't matter? If we don't do that now, it's never going to get done in our lifetime. So that's why Bernie's in the race still. That's why he's taking um, the delegates from the most electable candidate. In fact, you know what's so weird, I have to say? The, the corporate media gets me going. But something today I heard it was kind of weird. I couldn't believe what I was hearing, really. So many things, really. Let me, I'm trying to find it. Oh, here it is. Listen to this. When Hurricane Maria revealed the disparities, we saw them. When the floods revealed the disparities, the floods around the Mississippi revealed uh -huh. the disparities, we saw them. But we didn't change. We said our prayers and we went on about our business. And here we are now with this pandemic uh, revealing uh, our callousness once again. You know, Eddie, I wonder, I've had this conversation with Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago and Congresswoman Karen Bass yesterday in California. Um, two spots that have been proactive, that have done everything that's been asked of them, put in place social distancing orders, um, worked through the, the, the system as it is um, to try to get the supplies they need. And I'll, I'll ask you what I asked them. I mean, can, can you just, it, it seems to me that it's almost this braid of three toxic, that creates a toxic sort of combination. You know, one, one is underlying health issues. Basil Smichael talked about that weeks ago, said he's particularly scared because of some of his own underlying health issues. There's economic see? inequality. You see, it's only your own, but listen. I think is what you're speaking straight to. But I, I wonder if some of it is also, and if, if another thing that this virus is revealing, that we don't beat it 
unless we tackle the weakest links. So there's, it, it, right? Like, like you can have all the money in the world, but if you get on an airplane with the person with the, or, or, or you know, walk through an airport where there's someone working there. <laughs> I was trying to get a... Uh... Some kind of... <laughs> ...that has it. You are Okay, out. okay. Listen. Get on an airplane with the person with the, or, 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 you know, walk through an airport. Wait, hold on. And if, if another thing that this virus is revealing, that we don't beat it unless we tackle the weakest links. So there's, it, it, right? Like, like you can have all the money in the world, but if you get on an airplane with the person with the, or, or, or you know, walk through an airport where there's someone working there that has it, you are out, you are flattened. So, so I wonder if there's some blessing in the fact that we don't cure our country, we don't cure our city, we don't cure our workplace of this pandemic until we cure the, the weakest links, because that weak link can infect everybody else. Right, I think that's so important, Nicole. We're all on Nurath's boat, as it were. You know, Reverend William Barber of the Poor People's Campaign put it this way. They're sounding practically communist over here. The virus spreads along the breakages in our society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, motherfuckers. The virus spreads in the breakages of our society. So, you know, when we think about the poorest among us, when we think about those who are incarcerated in jails and in our prisons, when we- Gee, you're thinking about them. About the homeless. Right, these are folk who are in our view, who are who live with us and among us. Uh, and if we don't understand that the virus is taking root among the least of these, right? It doesn't matter what your zip code is. Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't matter whether or not you can live in a gated community. It's going to come to your doorstep. Yeah. The richest nation in the world mm -hmm. has experienced over 7,000 deaths. Mm. The most cosmopolitan place in the world is dealing with unimaginable grief. And there are folks who are literally languishing on the underside of this, on, on the underbelly of this country, mm -hmm. who are experiencing it at another register. Let me say this really quickly. The Great Recession of 2008, black folk and people of color bore the brunt of it primarily. Mm -hmm. The entire gains of the 90s were wiped out in 2008 in black America. And now look where we are now. My God. My God. <laughs> wow. I couldn't believe my my socialist ears geez um yeah they're talking they're talking like a bernie suddenly the weakest link we're all in this together that virus started from one person in a horrific jump from a a i don't know a hell a a, cre a human created hell for animals and jumped into humans, it started with one person and traveled all over the world. We are all connected, for Christ's sakes. We are, whether you like it or not. So if this doesn't wake us up, that's why when I see a tweet from Joe Biden saying things like, here, where the heck was it? I just had it. Oh, my God. Joe Biden, he, he posted it from his bit. We have to do more to ease the economic burden on the working people. So today, I'm adopting two new policies to help deliver relief. As president, I will lower Medicaid eligibility to age 60. Forgive student debt for low-income and middle-class families. And what does that mean? More 
kiss up kick down subsidies lowering the age to six oh take the take the six off of that and you you have a plan there joe give me a break lower the medical and, and what's a middle class family we're still using that terminology what's it's that's more bullshit being peddled when he's using the term middle class when the middle class is now f- below 50% of the population i mean what is he considering middle class for Christ's sakes that's not good enough sorry joe next good try swing and a miss honey wow must be uh he's getting things done and we we the sheeple we'll we're we'll be like oh well you know there'll be many dems that'll be like oh that's wonderful you know but you gotta take what you can take you could take your wins where you find them okay I guess, I guess it's better than nothing, but it also perpetrates and perpetuates the the bullshit subsidy myth that you're throwing a subsidy, you're um you're continuing to move on while leaving millions behind. There is no middle class anymore, Joe. You dumb dumb. Get a clue. They, it's the truth. I'm looking at the chat. Middle class equals working poor. Tamara writes, toss some crumbs to us. That's what they do. And we get the, the ones who want to get back to brunch. Those Dems that are like, oh, wonderful. Look, I feel so good about myself now. I can get to brunch. That someone has a trickle. Someone was trickled upon. While the, the, the broken system will remain intact, and then they'll keep crying about how divided we are, while they continue to divide us. That's how you divide us. You, 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 you spread bullshit. Like middle class. What the hell's a middle class? You should be out there. Joe Biden, the most electable candidate, should be out there saying the middle class is below 50% of the population for the first time in generations since we had a middle class and we should be appalled ashamed and attack this problem like we would any problem that is destroying us you fix it and you do it for real you only throw subsidies at it when you're staving off the inevitability of either a revolution that's coming or an entrenched oligarchy that will never leave (sighs) God. But there you go. And then, of course, keeping on the Bernie, the concession of Bernie, good for him. We fight on. We knew the oligarchy wasn't going to give up overnight. And they're rewriting history already, though. The corporate media, I saw on Morning Joe, they're like, well, you know, uh, when Bernie won those first few states in the beginning, the, the people really had that gut check moment. And they were like, do we really want a socialist to represent us? We, uh, is a socialist really going to beat Trump? 
oh, okay, so let's get this old doltard. Call up the doltard. We got nobody left. Let's get the doltard in there. So, um, no, that's not how it happened. It was the establishment, the corporate media, that got together with the, the, with the rich in the wine cave and the DNC donors, the donor class. You know, what democracy has a donor class? I keep asking. That's another question I want to answer, too. Besides, what does it mean to be a Democrat? Ask these Democrats. If you ever get, in, get them, if you ever go to a town hall and ask them, what, what kind of a democracy has a donor class? What the hell's a donor class? And they'll say, well, everybody has the right to petition their government. But don't you think that the, it, when we have a government where the wants and needs of working people have a statistically insignificant effect on government policy, don't you think that that's a byproduct of a donor class? That means I got mine, we get, you got nothing, and take it. Take your subsidy, bitch. Go home. You're lucky to have it. And we're going to sit here pretend that the working poor is now the middle class. It's a lie. So, um, you know, the uh, corporate media does what it does. And they had, well, let's see. I don't know. Here's, there's so many. I have a few. Oh, here we go. Here's Steve Kernacki at the wall talking about how Bernie, how Bernie hit a wall. Senator Sanders offered praise, but not an official endorsement of Vice President Biden. And he said he's staying on the ballot to collect delegates to influence the Democratic Party platform. I'm joined now by Steve Kornacki, NBC News national political correspondent. All right, Steve, what does it mean that Sanders is out but still on the ballots going forward? Well, we'll see what the uh, primary season ends up looking like from here on in. You've seen a lot of states that have switched to mail-in primary votes and, and, and that sort of thing. But his name will still be on the ballot. It was probably too late to take it off a lot of those ballots anyway. He can still <laughs> collect votes if you yeah, bring 15 percent. Probably too late. Well, you know, whatever. In any state or any congressional district, you can still collect delegates. He could wield potentially some influence with those delegates at the convention, you know, maybe with the party platform and, and, and that sort of thing. But I think it's it's largely a formality at this point. I think the bigger story with the Sanders campaign here in 2020, it was an amazing thing to see. Whatever side of this you were on, we had never seen anything quite like this before, where the candidate who was winning early oh, just yeah. hit a wall completely. And I think that what was that wall just hit a wall complete. It was the collusion, the corporate collusion of the corporate media and their owners and the Democratic Party owners in the wine cave. What collusion? They're promising making backroom deals. You want this uh, this uppity socialist in here telling people they demand a seat at the table that they deserve it. We the party's over. Then we don't get our cushy jobs. We don't have our speaking fees. We don't have our our access. Our being treated like the kings and queens of the of the world. Getting our free hotel rooms as we get together and discuss, you know, shit like um, I don't know, going to a bathroom of your choice or how do we get together and throw some 
throw some subsidies at shit that keeps people from the inevitable revolution that has to happen if we actually want a democracy to function. But, you know, what am I? What do I know? And I think that wall that wall. ran into in this race was because of that early success. You know, he got the most votes. He won the popular vote in Iowa. He won the New Hampshire primary outright. And then he got a landslide win in Nevada. And in the past, when a candidate has got going like that early on, it's triggered a bandwagon effect. And folks like to be with the winner generally. And, and there was certainly an expectation at that point that they would be with Bernie Sanders. And instead, it seemed like that was a gut check moment. I think in hindsight, that's what we yeah. can see right now. Gut check. It's Sanders winning Nevada becoming the clear frontrunner, being as close as he'd ever been to winning the Democratic nomination, that became a gut-check moment for the Democratic Party, for Democratic leaders, for Democratic voters, and they basically had to confront the question of, do we Are they... Do... Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry I cut it off. <laughs> do we want to nominate Bernie Sanders? And the answer there from that point forward was emphatically no. Do we want to... Yeah, they had a gut-check moment? The gut check was, holy shit, the party's over. And I mean the, the party, not of the people, the party of the donors. You know, it, <laughs> the party's over. <laughs> they will have, they'll lose their access. They'll lose their cushy gigs. You know, getting on the phone and getting together with the donors. There's a whole apparatus that goes on in the Democratic Party, in all parties, in the political parties. They don't want to end the party, meaning the, the party like it's 1999 kind of party. They're partying up in that bitch. They're like, oh, yeah, we're getting things. We're going to be friends with Wall Street, Main Street. You know, we tell the Main Street lie. We say them. We tell these dum-dums that Wall Street and Main Street rise and fall together. But, you know, it's that's just bullshit. We know that. But... Uh, you give us some money, and then they get together in their cocktail parties, and Chuck Todd is there, and Steve Kornacki's there, and they're all hanging out with the donor class and the politicians and the media that's supposed to be reporting on them. Supposed to, uh, like Chuck Todd, please. He's another one who uh, makes me want to vo vomit, really. So here's another, here's something that happened today. This was another throwaway. So it seems you have... A, a so he's talking to... Here's the, she's the head of the AMA, this lady. And they're talking about black people are dying from the virus, from the coronavirus at higher rates than everyone else. And so th that's the frame here. Multiple, there's multiple ways that this has to be tackled for you to solve it. It, it isn't just... Universal health care doesn't solve this because you still would have... A right. Thank you for telling us. Thanks so much for laying it out. Clearing, clearing that up. Yeah, yeah. Universal health care won't solve this problem. That black people dying at higher rates of the coronavirus. I wonder if not going to, uh, to the doctor when you're sick has anything to do with the spread of a virus. What do you think? I don't know. I, I, I'm just a dumb daughter of a garbage man and a nun. What the hell do I know? But I would think that maybe getting sick or even walking around, your, having to go to your uniquely American low-paying job 
regardless of how you feel, if you're feeling under the weather, because if you don't go in in the gig economy, you don't get paid, then that might have something to do with spreading a virus. And also, you know, uh, you don't got the money to cover the co-pays, the co-insurance, the deductibles, the in-network, out-of-network. Maybe that has something to do with it. Doesn't solve this because you still. So I'm glad that Chuck Todd cleared it up. It, it isn't just universal health care doesn't solve this because you still would have a poverty issue and access to education issue and access to better jobs issue and access to affordable housing. So universal health care doesn't solve the access to affordable housing, the access to education, the access to. What else did he say? Wait. Poverty issue. Oh, poverty. Universal health care doesn't solve this because you <laughs> it, it isn't just universal health care doesn't solve this because you still would have a poverty issue and access to education issue and access to better jobs issue. And, and she's shaking her head. Yeah. So universal health care doesn't solve it all. So fucking fuck it. So universal health care doesn't solve the poverty. So, oh, well, it don't solve it. Throw it away. Universal health care doesn't solve the crisis of poverty, the crisis of living wage, a crisis of health care. So, you know, bye. Um, guess what, Chuck Todd? Universal goddamn health care may not solve all issues of poverty, living wages, housing, but it's a goddamn start. You kiss up, kick down, lick spittle. How do you sleep at night? This is what I wonder. Do you really think you're doing a great job, Chuck Todd? When you get home and you look in the mirror and you said, wasn't that great the way I said universal health care doesn't solve this in the middle of this pandemic? I made sure to slip in. Don't, hey, master. Wait, can I get to that? Can I get that invite to that special wine cave party pro post coronavirus party at the Blue Cross Blue Shield monthly, weekly, whatever the hell wine cave gathering? When we all get together, when we all get together and lick each other's subsidies? Can I get that invite? I'm Chuck Todd. I'm your dog. What do you want me to say? Universal health care doesn't solve all problems. Universal health care won't take us to Mars. So, fuck it. Throw it out. Universal health care doesn't uh, pick up your mail. So, it won't work. Universal health care doesn't cross an old lady. Doesn't help an old lady get across the street. Why even bother then? And she's like, that lady's there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> These people are sharing the same air with us. Wah, 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 wah. Wake up. Wake up, working people. Wake up. I'm here to ask you politely to goddamn wake the F up. Okay? Really? Listening to that? I wonder how many people listen to that, and it just goes in their head. That's how propaganda works. You state something 
so emphatically. It's just, it's common knowledge. We don't even have to discuss it. There's no reason to pause and stop and, and, and break this down because everybody knows it. It's a universal truth. It's like saying, you know, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, so that doesn't solve the poverty crisis. That, don't, that doesn't make people have uh, living wages in housing. That's what he did. All I got to say is wake up. Wake the F up. That's not a, that's not a alarm. It's more like a phone. I need a kind of, you know what I mean? I got this. <laughs> so when he says things like the issue and access to education issue, wait, this has to be tackled for you to solve it. It, it isn't just universal health care doesn't solve this because you still would have. What? Son of a bitch. So that's just one of the times I caught it during the day. You know what I mean? It's on and it just gets in your head. That's how propaganda works. Universal health care won't solve it. Universal health care don't solve it. Universal health care won't solve it. And then you have it backed up by the corporate lick spittles all over CNN, everywhere. They're saying it all over, not just on right-wing media, right? They're not, it's not just Fox News saying that shit. We got it over here on the so-called liberal media. Universal health care. Who needs universal health care in a pandemic? We only need universal health care right now for this virus. Right now, right now, forever and ever. Amen. And nothing else. And we'll go back to normal, whatever that means. Normal being the, the worst, measurably worst healthcare on Earth. Well, is it on Earth? No, it's in the, in, it's ranks last or next to last in all positive measures consistently because that's how much we hate ourselves. And, you know, that's how much they hate us. Because we don't have any dignity. Really. If any, anyone with dignity who understood their worth and value wouldn't put up with it. They'd say, get your ass back to work. You, you wine cave, kiss up, kick down, corporate lick spittles. And I, don't come back until I get the word that the United States has joined the rest of the world with universal health care and that the wants and needs of working people are the primary reason you get out of bed in the morning, not the statistically insignificant effect on government policy that it has now. Because if you come back without that in your greedy little grubby fingers, we got a something for you here you know, legally and peacefully. They would only do it if they were afraid of the people. But would they know how cowed we are? Back in the French Revolution, of course, they had the national razor, but also in the French Revolution, the, 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 um, the leaders, they got so to the point where they were tripping over each other, giving up shit. I give up 
feudal rights, and they, they were outdoing each other because they were so afraid of what was coming. They undid, they were so afraid, they undid the entire, they did, undid society. They started from day zero. Undid everything, the days of the week, the calendar. They were so afraid it was coming. The National Razor was coming. But that's be- before, I mean, obviously it went out of control, unfortunately. But, yeah, they were afraid. That's what happened. So they all got together, all of the rich, the aristocracy. They were like, oh, no, 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 we don't got to be an aristocracy anymore. I- I'm a patriot. Well, I'm giving up my feudal rights, okay? Thank you. Let me live. But they don't do that. You think Joe Biden? He's got the fucking nerve. He's got a goddamn, he's, uh, he's got balls the size of a hoppity hop to come out here in the middle of a pandemic and say he's going to veto Medicare for all. Especially when he knows and that we know that he's not goddamn electable. That he's, he's uh, hanging by a thread. That he's skating by. If he gets by, it will be, honestly, it will be a relief. But it's not because it's him. Nobody wants to vote for him. They hate Twitler. He better goddamn do something and pick some vice president that isn't the, uh, what's that? What? I don't even remember his goddamn name now. Uh, the vice president in 2016. Hillary and who is uh, who's Hillary's vice president? That's how unmemorable he was. <laughs> Tim Kaine, yeah. <laughs> was anybody going like, oh, we we got to get Tim Kaine in here quickly? Tim Kaine's gonna he'll fix it. Fucking stupid bunch of corporate scums. Smarmy little smug bastards. In the wine cave, sitting around in James Carville's fucking basement. Coming up with another way to make Twitler possible. Holy shit. They don't have enough, right? They need to be afraid. They need, to, they need to not, if they don't have it, it's like you ever get in trouble at school and you don't want to go home because you're so afraid what's coming. So you stay out and you're like, oh no. That's the way they need to be. They dare, they dare come home without universal health care on the bill, on the ballot. They won't come home. They should, they'll stay out. They'll, they'll rent a hotel room. Anything to avoid the consequences. Exactly, Andrea. Pitchforks, torches. That's how you got to do it. If they're, you know, I mean, come on here. They're, they got to be afraid. They don't, that's, that's how we get in this situation. They're not afraid of the people. They don't care. And they're, that's partly why I cannot stand the fake-ass Democrats. The, the wine cave Democrats. The, one, the pink scarf Democrats. 
That's the extent of their resistance. Oh, resist! Look at my wonderful pink scarf. I'm wearing a pink scarf standing up for women's equality, women's rights, uh, uh, pro-choice. I'm pro-choice. Women should do whatever they want with their bodies. Wonderful. Guess who wasn't against, who was against abortion? Ladies and germs. Your most electable candidate. Everywhere you look, from the left and the right, there's problems. But whatever, what do I know? He's changed. He's evolved. You know, he's not going to rape anybody anymore. Well, I don't know if he raped. Just a little crossing of the line. You know, the lines have moved. He won't use his power to, to push himself on someone. He'll stop smelling people's hair. Well, women's hair. He doesn't smell men's hair. That's because women, you know, they're nothing but objects. What's their hair for except to smell? Really? People need to wake up. You dumb, dumb, resist. Oh, here comes Tara Jr. Jr. Hi, welcome. Special guest. (laughs) Welcome to the show. (laughs) What do you think? Who are you voting for? Who are you voting for, Junior? Tell the people. Tell them. Nobody yet? Are you sold on Biden? All right. You you just want dinner. (laughs) Anyway. He had dinner. And then he had another dinner. He had two dinners. Look at him. That's why he's so chunky. Well, he had... I'm trying to... I have to measure out. I do it. I do. Measure out the food. Because he's too fat. I love him. And I don't want him to be fat and unhealthy. That's the... If he will get... Other illnesses, he can get diabetes. We don't want that. We want him around forever and ever and ever and ever. Right? Do not die, Junior. (laughs) That's your job. You mama mia. You little mommy. You're a mommy. What can I say? You're a mommy. You're my namesake. You're beautiful. Anyway, what else? Uh, one more thing, a couple more things. Let's see. I have so many things. I guess I'll, I was going to, I guess, to tune in on Saturday for our regularly scheduled Saturday programming. And we'll we'll take a trip with Jill Biden and a book that she wrote. I can't play it now because uh, it's too late. But I think we'll do it on Saturday. We'll talk about Jill Biden's book that could have been written in 1939 Nazi Germany. <laughs> it's a children's book. 
But that's just a little taste of what's to come. I'm trying to find my movies. All right, here's uh, here's CNN bashing Bernie for his concession that they didn't like. What struck me the most there is Senator Sanders in saying goodbye did acknowledge that Joe Biden had an insurmountable lead, but he didn't say anything nice about Joe Biden. He did not say he'd spoken to him. He did not say he would work with him. He said it was imperative to beat President Trump, but there was no big embrace of Joe Biden. He said nicer things about Joe Biden back during some of the Democratic debates than he said in saying goodbye. It was really noteworthy uh, that that was not part of his message at all. In fact, it's funny you say that as he was speaking, I was texting with people in and around Joe Biden asking if he had gotten a phone call because it was so uh, glaringly absent. (laughs) These people are such scumbags. They are such liars. And that's there you go. There they there they go, setting it up for the most electable candidate to go down in flames and have another Bernie to, to, to blame. When the DLC screws us and we have to endure, if we can, four more years of Twitler, hopefully not. I hope not. I hope not. But that's their escape hatch. They will never look at themselves. What are you talking about? He never thanked him. He never thanked Joe Biden. Bullshit. Good morning, and thank you very much for joining me. I want to express to each of you my deep gratitude for helping create an unprecedented grassroots political campaign that has a profound impact on changing our nation. I want to thank the thousands of volunteers, the hundreds of thousands of volunteers who knocked on doors, millions of them in the freezing winters of Iowa and New Hampshire. Okay, let's just get to the... It was so glaringly absent. Where is it? I'm trying to find it now. Well, God damn it. He said his movement had won the ideological battle and congratulated Joe Biden. Today, I congratulate Joe Biden, a very decent man who I will work with to move our progressive ideas forward. Didn't you, did you hear what I heard with CNN? What was glaringly, blaringly absent was he didn't congratulate. Are you kidding me? What struck me? I, I, took, I took the clip from the Hill. That's why you keep seeing that clip. Goodbye. Did acknowledge that Joe Biden had an insurmountable lead. But he didn't say anything nice about Joe Biden. He did what? not say he'd spoken to him. He did not say he would work with him. He said it was imperative to beat President Trump, but there was no big embrace of Joe Biden. He said nicer things about Joe Biden back during some of the Democratic debates you than he said in saying goodbye. It was really noteworthy uh, that that was not part of his message at all. In fact, it's funny you say that as he was speaking, I was texting with people in and around Joe Biden asking if he had gotten a phone call because it was so uh, glaringly absent. What? Today, I congratulate Joe Biden, a very decent man who I will work with to move our progressive ideas forward. Together, standing united, we will go forward to defeat Donald Trump. The, do- the most dangerous president in modern American history. Are you ki- kidding me? 
Meanwhile, I thought this was genius. It says it all. On, uh, on The Onion, they had a great headline. Hold on, I'll find it. And sums it up brilliantly, as they usually do. As they always do, really. The Onion, really, it's, it says it all. I'm putting it in there. Look. I congratulate Joe Biden, a very decent man, says Bernie Sanders, in an unprovoked attack on the Democratic Party unity. <laughs> it's so true. An unprovoked attack on Democratic Party unity. <laughs> From the onion. That's great. Undaunted Sanders supporters announced they'll continue presidential campaign without the candidate. <laughs> That's very good. Anyway, I found that funny. And says it all. I congratulate Joe Biden, a very decent man, says Bernie Sanders, in an unprovoked attack on Democratic Party unity. Yeah, it was just that the people, you know, they all got together. Oh, that's the other thing that, that uh, what's his name, said, that uh, James Carville said. He said... If what I, struck oh, me wait. the most there is Senator Sanders one. in saying goodbye did acknowledge that Joe Biden this Sanders one. said he would stay Let's to see. unify the party and get on with I think it's the single most important mission unify in the party. modern American politics and that is extracting Donald Trump as quickly as we can from the White House <laughs> and the way to do that is to unite the party to be respectful for everybody and understand that that Senator uh, Sanders, White Jane, his campaign, his supporters, his donors, that, that they had real dreams, they had aspirations. We have dreams of having a decent middle-class life decision is made. and, and not way, dying without health care. And they made it overwhelmingly, and they have to be respected. They, wait, wait, listen, listen. Donors, that, that they had real dreams, they had aspirations, and that happens a lot in politics, but... There's a decision is made. And by the way, it was Democratic voters that made the decision. Yeah, they yeah, made don't. it overwhelmingly, and they have to be respected. The, 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 the establishment of whatever that <laughs> stupidity is or, or it didn't make yeah, this, yeah. this voter. It, don't it believe what you see. It was the Democratic Party. That... It, was, it was, what is this silly establishment? I never heard of such a thing. I never heard of it. It's like, it's like a... It's like a unicorn or something. I've never heard of no establishment getting together to ensure that they have their corporate candidate in power. I never heard of such a thing about a bunch of powerful interests getting together to stop people from interfering with funneling more money into their own pockets. That's so, ah, what is this bizarre establishment no, no that was so it was the voters the voters no 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 it was there's no establishment look at this watch there's no establishment there's no corporate media it's only real democrats wanting to get back to brunch well, look at this watch. No one wants to worry about you can't get $400 for your stupid health, stupid little diabetes. No, 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 no. 
We just get him back to brunch. No establishment. There's no billionaires running policy and the wine came. Look at the watch. Look at the watch. <laughs> it's just real Democrats making sure that only some people got health care. Only some people can retire. And that's the way it is. That's Main Street and Wall Street rising and falling together. Look at the watch. Look at the watch, okay. Look at the flowers for those uh, who watch a walking dead. Look at the flowers. <laughs> his supporters, his donors, that, that they had real dreams, they had aspirations, and that happens a lot in politics. But yeah. there's a decision that's made. And by the way, it was Democratic voters that made the decision, and they made it overwhelmingly and... They have to be respected. There was no establishment. You got to be kidding me. There's no such thing. That's why, I mean, when the government wants and needs of the working class have no effect on government policy, that's not the establishment. No, no, no. That's just average voters saying, we're shit. We're nothing. We're nothing up in this bitch, and we know that. We're okay because we love, we want to get to heaven quicker. We want to see our little Jesus and our maker. We don't, there's no establishment here. We understand that that's the way government is. That's why we send our sons and daughters to die for wars based on lies, for so-called democracy, because we don't, we don't want any piece of the pie. No, 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 no. There's no establishment. We like it like this. We like not having any say in government. We want, you know, when um, we understand we got to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and marry a billionaire or a corporate lobbyist or something. If, uh, but that's the way Jesus wanted it, really. Um, I mean, there's no establishment. You didn't have, you didn't go on Morning Joe every day and see the incessant Bernie bash. That was nothing. You didn't see that. You didn't see that. The, oh, oh, you know what? You didn't see Joy Reid talking about how uh, the, she's got a body language expert on there to tell us all that Bernie is a liar. Because he's a turtle. He's got a turtle-looking back. He turtles. And everybody knows when you turtle that you are a motherfucking liar. When you go like, oh, I'm a turtle. Sort of like when the Nazis came out and they, they said, look at your head. You, you, you're a little shifty-looking. Oh, wait, here's, here we go. The two of them is that scandals m hurt you more when they seem plausible, right? right? I mean, Bernie Sanders does have a sort of physicality, you know, when he when he talks that yes. is a shaking your finger yes. at Hillary Clinton, yes. shaking your finger, shovey, <laughs> weirdy. You know, his his physicality yes. makes me think, yeah, he could have said, yes. you know, listen, I think in this environment, a woman can't win. That doesn't seem like a get the fuck out of here. First of all, I think he, I think Bernie's lying. We see him; he slouches forward anyway. No, no. There was no body language expert. I mean, who would ever think of corporate media establishment?
getting together and doing all they can to stop the people from having a seat at the table. I mean, the people like it. The people like when they say, hey, when they know. I mean, some of them don't even know. They're so stupid. But I mean, hello, I'm for the people. When the people, the people say, I, I heard that the wants and needs of working people have absolutely no effect on government policy. The people say, hallelujah, hallelujah. They say, mm, mm, yeah, now I'm free. I don't got to think about this media. I don't got to think about this government. I just got to ride my Uber. I just got to ride my DoorDash. I got to get my full-time job and my two side hustles. I'm too busy. Thank you, Democrats, for taking all this thinking off my hands. The wants and needs of working people having no effect on government policy. When I tell them that that's the case, they're like, resist, resist. Yeah, they're talking about resisting getting involved. They want to get back to brunch. No, 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 they know. There's no corporate media establishment getting together, having body language experts so-called body language experts up in this bitch talking about how that little, that socialist, that one who says that no one should die in this richest country on earth without health care. I mean, what a, that's, that's not capitalism. That's not America. They got the corner on America. But here he turtles. If you look at his eye level where he normally answers questions, when he makes the denial, his whole shoulders come up like a little kid getting caught. His eye level is below his shoulders. This is trying to hide in plain sight. And many of us, we don't know what to look for. So if you look for this right out of the gate, and the strongest denial is simply saying no. And I think women in particular, we want to believe human beings. So we're like, yeah, I would I would say that. He literally said, well, as a matter of fact, I didn't say it. That's nine words unnecessary no did you vote for donald trump in the last election absolutely no right oh, so, wait. no did you dress up as an easter oh did i'm you... sorry joy you didn't say the right thing that she wanted you to say she wanted you to say no because her point is is that you for whatever stupid reason if you say as a matter of fact i did not say that you you're lying only you're not lying when you say no Who's this expert? What effing expert? And then, so, Joy, she made a mistake. She said, absolutely no. I guess you're lying. I guess you vote. You voted for Tw- for Twitler. You said it right there on, on your own body language, expert. You have been exposed, Joy. You voted for Twitler. As a matter of fact, I didn't say it. That's nine words. Unnecessary. No. Did you vote for Donald Trump in the last election? Absolutely no. Right? What? So, no. Did you dress up as an Easter money on Easter? Absolutely no. Right? So it's no. We say no. See? We say no. We say no. But Joy's saying absolutely no. And that means she's lying, according to this so-called expert. Absolutely is actually not the strongest denial. You're you're playing with me here in the game, but at least you're getting. Oh the... yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just playing. We're playing. It's sort of like that when Alyssa Milano was. Why am I talking like James Carville? <laughs> I just like getting back into the James Carville. I don't know. Um, 
when uh, because he turtles. You know what I mean? He's no, no, no. He's sort of like a a skeleton. He gets all skeletal. He's like a walking bag of bones. And that means he's lying. In my, I'm an expert. I'm a body language expert. Here, we're not hearing. I got much cred. I got as much cred as this bitch on here. Absolutely no. Right? So it's no. We say no. Absolutely. It's actually bitch. not the strongest Look at the bone. You're, you're playing with me here in the game. I'm, at least yeah. you're getting. The oh, yeah, yeah. You're playing with me here in the game. That was when, like, when Alyssa Milano was on that other that show, Radio Andy, and he was like, "Oh, he's really trying hard to agree with her." I like that. The reason why you're a hypocrite, okay, and not speaking out against the accusers of Joe Biden sexual improprieties is because you think all of the sudden there should be due process. When a D, the powerful man abusing his authority, has a D after their name instead of an R, I see. Oh, I like that. It's not, it's, and, and the corporate media isn't jumping on it. I mean, why would they after spending all this time telling everybody how electable Joe Biden was? What, uh, that, why would they turn around and suddenly report things that might be uh, perceived kind of negatively by people who pretend to have some, some kind of integrity. So, oh, no, it's not that, the, that uh, the, um, it's the middle of a pandemic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no. It's, oh, yeah, the corporate media is not talking about it. Well, I wonder, it's, maybe it's because they're too busy pretending that, uh, you know, bashing Bernie, setting Bernie up for the fall if Biden loses, and, and peddling this bullshit. Of course, this was before while Bernie was in the race. How, talk about how do you sleep at night? How does Joy Reid sleep at night? Really? How does she sleep at night? After the... Body language expert incident. When here, we're not hearing the no with Bernie. Also with Bernie, he has numerous hotspots. He says, well, mm -hmm. liars like to start with, well, he <laughs> I guess I'm a liar. He laughs. I think he might have been coached to laugh in this moment. A lot of politicians yes. are coached to laugh in the difficult times. So we're focused on the this? laughter. And, and it's supposed to send a message that this isn't serious. It is serious. If he said it, which I believe that he did, he would have been better to no, just own it. Uh, you know, Barack Obama wrote a book years ago, years ago. And he said, what in the book? He tried cocaine and marijuana and he never touched the stuff again we never talked about it when he was president after that if bernie just owned it this would disappear we wouldn't be talking about it six days later. but bernie he did the opposite he because he didn't say it i'm sure what he said was not to relitigate it doesn't matter he probably said that twitler will use the woman card against you of course he will what's that oh yeah that's what he does that's all he said. And apparently Elizabeth Warren was so wounded and pained that she held on to it for over a year until a week before some uh, pivotal moment. I can't remember. It's all a blur. Uh, this, oh, no, no. Oh, hi, Francis. What are you doing? Come here. Francis, what are you doing? He's going behind the TV. 
Francis, get out of there. Get out of there. Jesus Christ, it's like a free-for-all. Somebody must be turtling or something. <laughs> Holy shit. All right, I'm looking at the time. Holy mama mia. It went by so fast. There's so many other things, but that's why we will get together again. There's so many other things that I have on in store for you all. You guys, I want to thank you for your super chats. I don't know who gave me a super chat. Somebody else super chatted at me. What the? And I missed it when I came in. <clears throat> Let me see. If it, Tamara <clears throat> and Mark C. Thank you for the super chats. Nobody else super chatted, so you're all dead to me. I'm only kidding. <laughs> I want next show we'll thank all the patrons and and supporters all right oh uh, you have your marching orders here's the deal well i sound like joe biden now but here's the deal okay look fat here's the deal <laughs> that's joe biden all right that's what he says look fat here's the deal um listen listen up where is haiku we want to find out why uh, the hell is he not here? And what else? Um, you need to, in order to make the show grow, we need more patrons. So we gotta, if you're listening, you like the show, you want to keep it going, please consider becoming a patron. Even $2 a month, $5 a month, that matters. $2 a month is like nothing, really. It's, uh, it's sort of like the way the DLC Democrats consider the working class sort of like nothing. It's nothing. It's no biggie. And it's, it's change. It's chump change. $5 a month, whatever. I don't know. We need a, we need some patrons. We need more. I want to get up there on the board, like, uh, the humanist report that has like 4,000 patrons. We got a ways to go. If we get to that point, we will have a daily show. If you like this show, if you believe, it's not just the show, it's the, what we're up against. We need the liberal media. If you understand that, if you're like, if you're a normal person who understands that we need liberal media to counteract the corporate media, which is nothing but an anti-democratic arm of the oligarchy, if that's not clear to you now, it's, uh, I'm glad you're here because we, we're going to open your eyes a little bit. But that's what needs to happen. You have to, we can't fight fascism on a part-time basis. And it's important to have media outlets like this. Otherwise, you're done. This country's done. The other thing I want to say is... I'm going to be on Bob Kincaid's show on Monday. So that'll be fun. Head on Radio Network. What else? Um, if you cannot become a patron, that's understandable. Everybody has their own circumstances. Remember, you can also give the show a good review on iTunes and share the show with your friends. So that makes a difference, too. 
we have to spread it out, spread the love. Get people to come on in. Listen. Listen up in this bitch. Keep it going. Keep the keep the democracy going. The American Revolution began in tea shops with pamphlets dreaming of a life without an intergenerational aristocracy and a king. I believe that's what we're doing here. I 100% believe it, it because it's the truth. Guys, that's it. That's it for now. We had a lot of fun tonight. We laughed, we cried, and we ran the gamut of emotions, like life. We're serious, we're, we have fun, we mock, we shit, we tear these bitches apart. That's what they deserve. Remember, remember what I always say. We are the real patriots, just like we're the real Democrats. And we will win. As long as we get the word out. We got to we got to train these other these these Democrats, these so-called Democrats, these wine cave Democrats. I'm disappointed. I know, Susan Collins. I know. I'm disappointed. Right. We get it. We get it. It doesn't matter. If she's disappointed, we're doing something right. Listen. Listen. Like I always say, we're in this together. Thank you for your support. We stick together. We win. That is another way of saying e pluribus unum. We don't leave anybody behind. We are on the right side of history. We are on the right side of democracy. My name is Tara Devlin. Thank you for hanging out. I will see you on Saturday night.